0: Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and
1: inspired. This is World Today.
0: Hello and welcome to World Today. I'm Dinghan in Beijing. Coming up, Xi Jinping has promised open markets and billions in new financial investments for Belt and Road projects. China and Serbia have signed a contract which will see China's first-ever high-speed rail export to Europe. And we will hear from a former UN official about how the BRI is incubating global green development. And China's third quarter GDP grew by 4.9% exceeding market expectations. So if you want to listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. Chinese President Xi Jinping has vowed to work with all parties involved to usher the Belt and Road cooperation into a new stage of high-quality development. He made this remark at the opening ceremony of the 3rd Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation in Beijing. The Chinese leader said Belt and Road cooperation has been fruitful over the past 10 years, pledging more financial support for BRI projects. In the meantime, President Xi Jinping has also promised to comprehensively remove China's restrictions on foreign investment access in the manufacturing industry. Guests from more than 140 countries are here in the Chinese capital to attend this particular event, which marks the 10-year anniversary of the BRI. So joining us now on the line is Professor Wang Zhenxu from the School of Public Administration Zhejiang University. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Hi, Diheng. It's great to be here with you.
0: Also joining us on the line is Mr. Sultan Hali, a retired Air Force officer and author in Pakistan, a longtime China affairs observer. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Okay. So, Mr. Hali, to start with you, uh, actually, Uh, The total amount of new financing that President Xi Jinping has announced for BRI projects this time around is, by some estimates, is equal to about 100 billion U.S. dollars, uh, involving uh, multiple uh, Chinese financial institutions, as well as this uh, particular Silk Road fund. And uh, Xi Jinping said these monies will support BRI projects on the basis of market and business operation so how would you uh, evaluate the momentum that these new money this new financial um, support here we are talking about is going to inject into
1: the BRI in the foreseeable future well uh it's always a pleasure to be uh, a program hosted by you, and uh, today is no exception. But we are talking about a very important topic, and you rightly already pointed out a gist of what uh, President Xi Jinping said. But coming, you see, in the wake of uh, the 10th anniversary of uh, the launch of the BRI, I think it is a, like a whiff of fresh air, because otherwise, you see, if you look around the world, there is conflict, there is uh, economic uh, depression, and so on. But in this, the ray of hope is the Belt and Road connectivity network. And more importantly, the amount which the President Xi Jinping has pledged, because in these grim circumstances, such a huge contribution is going to mark a major difference. But first of all, let me say that, you see, it took 10 years for China to establish the confidence of the world into the belt and road connectivity network because most importantly, there were a number of detractors. There were people who were critics. There were people who were skeptical thinking that this will not work. But after 10 years, now people can see for themselves that this particular mega project is going to bring the world closer. It is going to provide a solution to the world's, uh, You see major problems and more importantly, President Xi Jinping has laid out a, a eight-point program in his speech today, which I'm sure you will cover in the rest of your program, but these will bring the world not only closer, but it will become a more prosperous world.
0: Hmm. So apart from new financing, uh, President Xi Jinping has also emphasized about the importance of scientific and technological cooperation and innovation. He pledged to increase the number of joint laps that China is building with BRI uh, partner countries to to 100 over the next five years. Now, Professor Wan, of course, I mean, during this process over the, over the next five years, China will likely share its uh, technological know-how and science-based know-how with other countries involved in the BRI. Uh, why do you think China is looking to do so? at a time when, frankly speaking, China's own access to some particular countries' so-called advanced technologies is being increasingly, you know, restricted.
2: Okay, hi, Dien uh, Han, and great to be with you. And Mr. Ali, I, I think uh, regarding, uh, let me maybe watch, make one quick point about your first question, okay. which is the
3: uh,
2: uh, pledge of new finance financing. I think it just shows, as Mr. Ali said, it just shows the DRI has been very successful. He uh, it has it has brought fruit to every country, so now it is possible to put in more resources. It is uh, it's actually uh, productive to put in more more investment, uh, so that's how I see the China's willingness to put in more uh, financing. To BRI mm-hmm. and and this uh, your your question about science and technology cooperation, of course uh, China is uh, facing uh, pressure uh, from the United States uh, trying to restrict China's uh, technological advancement, but the uh, it is new. I think BRI it is new that China. Uh, is openly uh, formally putting one putting this item putting this uh, scientific and technological cooperation uh, in the BRI framework. It, it isn't new. It has been going on. That you know, I visited uh, the National Academy of Science. Uh, my friend, a very famous uh Miss uh, Professor Liu Jifeng and his wife, uh, Miss Miss Zheng Jinghui, uh, they took me around. And I see actually in the Academy, I see, I saw uh, offices, research offices of, BR, of Bell and Road countries, uh, mm-hmm. young, young, young young scholars coming to do collaborative research with Chinese scientists. Uh, the, I think the point is that China doesn't see uh, the, the need or, or it, it does not think it is correct to, to restrict technological advancement of other countries. So, and if China has some uh, technological scientific uh, know how, it, it is willing to share to, to help other countries to also make similar uh, progress. And besides that, China also benefits from such kind of uh, international cooperation within the BRI framework uh, in terms of scientific and technological cooperation because young talents from the BRI countries, they definitely, they will bring ideas and, and perspectives to the Chinese social, t- Chinese science uh, and technological community. Mm-hmm. So it is is—it is mutually beneficial. And it is also contribute to, China, to the BRI uh, objective uh, of uh, people's heart connectivity. You know, there's one one connectivity uh, objective in BRI is the... the Connectivity of people's hearts. Uh, so you 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 like you want to have not just investment and in infrastructure cooperation. You also want scientific and culture, tourism, and every, every kind of soft uh, soft connectivity. Mm. Uh, so, so that's my take on this. Uh, and it is new. I think it is very very uh, good. That now you have a new formally have an item of scientific and technological cooperation within the BRI framework.
0: Mm, And thank you for sharing some of your personal observation and experiences in this particular regard. So, by the way, Mr. Hali, what is your take on this particular point in President Xi Jinping's address that viewing others' development as a threat or taking economic interdependence as a risk will not make one's own life better or speed up one's own development. What is your take on this point?
1: Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, But if you allow me, Dingin, before I answer this question, very briefly, I want to touch upon one point. Uh, Of course, it has been very well elaborated by the professor. But uh, you see, in my 50 years of experience uh, of visiting China and of studying China and having authored over half a dozen books on China, I am witness to the fact that for the first 22 years of its life, China was deprived of any scientific or technological advancement from the West because the West had refused to recognize China itself. And uh, it developed things the hard way. Now that China is in a position that it can study, it can uh, do uh, research, it would like others to benefit, and it feels the pain and the pinch of it. Moreover, even now, of course, as you mentioned, uh, that it is being restricted. But the thing is that China has made so much, uh, you see, advancement by leaps and bounds that it wants to share its experience without holding back any country or depriving them of any, uh, you see, uh, benefits from the technological advancement which China has made or which the world has made. Now, coming to your question about uh, viewing others' development, first of all, let me point out that this kind of thinking that uh, the development of another country uh, uh, is a threat or uh, it will you know uh, inter- mm-hmm. uh, economic interdependence will become a risk this is an imperialist thought and people who make this kind of uh, observations or the kind of uh, deductions they are not only myopic but they are not aware of china's uh, psyche the china's you see thinking which is based upon more than 5000 years of culture and development and in which the key point is live and let live. Let the world, uh, you see, benefit from you. Uh, not, not be jealous of other people's uh, advancements. One, you see, uh, uh, point which President Xi Jinping made in his uh, current speech on, for the BRI forum was that if, if you give a rose to a friend, its fragrance is going to stick to your own hands also. So it, uh, it this uh, development... And economic interdependence is actually being passed on by China to others because mm. if the world is strong, only then China will be strong.
0: Mm. So, Professor Wan, we understand President Xi Jinping has also pledged that China will implement a green investment principle for the Belt and Road, providing one hundred thousand relevant training opportunities for BRI relevant partner countries by the year twenty thirty. I mean when we talk about green development, China is arguably a, a a global leader already if we take a look at China's say advantages or competitiveness in in some of the particular industries like EVs, solar panel, wind turbine, etc. So uh in this regard, what kind of specific knowledge and know how do you think China is able to and, and do you think China needs to impart to those BLI partner countries?
2: Sure. I think, uh, well, you are correct. China is playing the leadership role now in global effort to reduce the carbon emission. And really, let me say, uh, let me actually name the country. Uh, it is the United States that's doing uh, much less, too, too little, in terms of making the necessary. Energy change, transformation, uh, that to switch from, uh, fuel to fuel to, uh, to, uh, clean, green energy. Uh, but in the BRI framework, I think what China now wants to do is, you know, we, we you know, every country has the right to industrialize, to enjoy, like, to enjoy driving a car, to enjoy using, uh, Electric uh, appliances like a mm. refrigerator or yeah. air conditioner, and, and so to do this, we need the green capacity. We need the capacity to to generate electricity in a in a, a green way. So, so China has lots to offer in that regard. And uh, for people to enjoy, you know, driving a car using a modern transportation, you need infrastructure. And you need clean vehicles. You need electronic cars, and so. On. And in all this regard, China now has the technology, has the ability to help to work with countries uh, to you know move up the technological ladder, move up the living standard. Uh, you know, China stopped uh, building uh, fire power station many years ago. Uh, now all the all the projects to enable countries to have uh, much uh, energy-intensive lifestyle will happen in green way, in a green way to generate electricity through the solar channel, through the uh, wind and other technologies.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Mr. Sultan Ali, um frankly speaking, I think some political observers tend to see the BRI as China's effort to expand its geopolitical influence across the world today. But President Xi Jinping has said that the VRI is really based on the principle of planning together, building together, and benefiting together. And it really transcends differences between civilizations, cultures, uh, social systems, and stages of development. What is your understanding?
1: Uh, You see, uh, I fully agree with President Xi Jinping, not because he's your president or because he's an influential person, but because I am a student of history and I've been observing it. Those observers who tend to view China as uh, trying to expand its geopolitical influence, they are observing it, you know, from ethnocentric, uh, tinted uh, glasses because uh, previous imperialist powers in the past, uh, like uh, let me even name them uh, britain france germany uh, uh, the dutch uh, mm. the portuguese and even at a later stage the americans they went about you know conquering countries or influencing them the they think now that china since it is expanding and uh, it, it its expansion is for geopolitical influence but the fact is that as a recipient of Help and friendship from China here in Pakistan. I have seen with my own eyes that as a developing country, whenever we reached out to other countries for help or for planning together or building together, the benefit was not there to us. All the aid or all the transfer of technology came with a string, except in the case of China, which is willing. To help you build infrastructures so that you transcend the differences between civilizations, social systems, and other you see uh, stages of development. One example which President Xi Jinping gave, gave today was you see from the ancient Silk Road, when all the other countries where they were trying to conquer each other or you know uh, spread their influence, the uh, uh, camels of China were taking. Uh, silk and other you know goods from china and trading with other people admiral zheng he who was a great admiral uh, in the 15th century, or rather 14th century and if you remember he took his giant ships not as a pirate but in uh, trading so these are the things which uh, show that uh, china is out to help people plan together build together and benefit together
0: hmm So Xi Jinping has also said that, quote, China is endeavoring to rejuvenate the Chinese nation on all different aspects, on all different fronts by pursuing Chinese modernization. The modernization pursued by China is not only for China alone, but also for all the developing countries through our joint efforts, unquote. So Professor Wang Zhengxu, um, You know, frankly, based on your observation of China's path to modernization, I guess when we talk about modernization, we are referring to, say, uh, urbanization and industrialization and many of the other social and economic aspects as well. What kind of lessons and experience in China's path to modernization do you think might be? Useful or inspirational to other countries?
2: Okay. Yeah, I think uh, this question is uh, in 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 a sense related to the last question about you know about geopolitics, and also related to the question about how do you view development of other countries? Mm-hmm. Uh, when China say Chinese modernization is not just for China alone, uh, it is. Conveying the idea, you know, uh, it's not about geopolitics. It's, it, it, when you talk about geopolitics, is uh, you you take a view of zero-sum game that one country's gain is uh, at the, the expenses of the other country. And China take a different view. China think uh, if one country does better, it should enable other countries to do better. Uh, so China, I think, in the most specifically to your question, in the earlier years, let's say ten or 20 years ago, China was less forthcoming to say, look, uh, you know, we have done something uh, that China's economic development has been very successful. We, we actually are quite happy to share our experiences or our ideas. But so in, in the last 10 you know, or 20 years ago, China isn't saying that because China was kind of worried that U.S. or the Western countries will, will accuse China for exporting China's model or something like that. Uh, but the, the point is, uh, you know, China does present some some useful um, uh, lessons that other countries can take take it away or can can uh, can study. So what 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 I think uh, important in China's uh, modernization process, what you, what you call the social economic development and technological advancement? So I think one is uh, uh you have to have a very focused very a very committed government with a government that has a vision and it has the ability to implement policies. And I think uh, some other countries are learning, learning that. I think Pakistan uh, has a similar, like, uh, reform and development uh, agency within the government mm-hmm. that is uh, taking up the role of planning for, for economic development and, and implementing economic policies and so on. So that, that is something Western countries are unwilling to recognize that China's political system actually has a lot of strength, at least in, in taking China away from poverty, in moving up China's economic level. The government has been very important. So th- I, I would say that's the first uh, uh, first uh, experiences of China. And then second is more directly related to the idea of BRI, that China sees the infrastructure. Uh, you have to build roads and And connect people together, connect market together to enable the economy to boom. So you need the economic infrastructure in terms of roads, ports, in terms of electricity generation uh, capacities, and so on. That is, uh, you know, I think uh, Mr. Ali or other participants at the BRI forum, they have learned this. They have picked up the phrase called if you want to develop, mm. you need to first work on the infrastructure. That's, uh, 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 maybe I'll just stop here for this uh, second China's experience.
0: Mm. Okay, so mister Hali, we still have about two minutes before we need to wrap up this dialogue with both you and Professor Wang. Uh, So the final question before we let you go. I mean, in many ways, the BRI can be seen as a piece of good evidence about China's participation and propulsion of globalization over the past one decade or so. So why do you think China has demonstrated a steady fast support towards globalization at a time when rethinking and even skepticism about globalization has been on the rise in in certain
1: developed countries. Yes, since we are running short of time, I'll keep my answer short. Uh, The key word is, again, President Xi Jinping's initiative uh, called the Global Development Initiative. And even in this speech, you see, he talked about connectivity and the BRI has shown that it is all about connectivity, opening the world economy, economy the practical cooperation in you know uh, leading to small smart livelihood programs green development which we have talked about people to people exchanges integrity based uh, belt and road cooperation and institutional build, build, uh, institution building now all this boils down to the fact that globalization is extremely important and china has given its uh, not only an example in all the fields but we saw that when the world was challenged by the global pandemic covid-19 although despite accusations uh, by some detractors china mm. was forthcoming not only with its initiative of uh, developing uh, ways uh, and means of uh, checking uh, controlling the epidemic the pandemic but mm. also in sharing with the world its in- not only the information, but also technology and also the vaccine. So all this show mm. that uh, globalization yeah, is you. on the right. Thank you, Mr. We'll Hali.
0: Continue. We have been speaking with Sultan Hali as well as Professor Wang Zhengxiu. We'll be back. I am Dan Wang, Chief Economist of Hang Bank China. The World Today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. You are listening to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. China has signed a deal with Serbia to supply high-speed railway trains for a railway project linking Serbia to Hungary. The Serbian government signed this contract with Chinese rolling stock manufacturer CRRC on the sidelines of the 3rd Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation in Beijing. Once operational, the railway project is going to reduce travel time between the respective capitals of Hungary and Serbia from 8 hours down to 3 hours. The trains in the agreement are designed with a top speed of 200 kilometers per hour. They are scheduled to be put into use by 2025. So joining us now on the line is Mr. Liu Zhiqing, senior fellow with the Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies, Renmin University of China. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. So this is actually marking the first ever exports of trains with a speed of more than 200 kilometers per hour from China over there to Europe and of course China has also been involved in the uh, building and construction of this particular railway as well for many many years actually so how do you rate the significance of this latest contract? I should
3: say that this contract is a very important and significant for China's industry, and also for the Caribbean and the Hungary, the two countries' people's lives. As I know that uh, this uh, contract is a milestone between China and uh, these two countries, because it not only uh, this is the first uh, contract that, that for China to deliver uh, Chinese high-speed uh, uh, railway equipment, uh, including rail and uh, locomotives and, and everything, but actually, it has a really great political and economic outcomes and especially the benefits to the local people. So we have seen that this high speed railway in Serbia is only 200 kilometers per hour. It's not the highest as we have in China, 300 or 350 kilometers. But this is the first step that for the European countries to have uh, such a railway that is totally built by China. This is a very important a signal to the global market and the global community that China's uh, knowledge and the technicals can come up and meet the demands of the uh, the market. As we know that China has uh, again reiterated that China wish to benefit all, that we hope to have close cooperation and the inclusiveness and openness with everybody, with every country. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, we know that we need uh, some time to discuss with the European countries. But Serbia has the courage to sign this contract with us. We highly appreciate it.
0: Mm. So in terms of uh, high-speed railway development, actually China once learned its know-how and relevant knowledge from countries like Germany and Japan, for example. Germany's assignments provided a lot of training historically to uh, Chinese companies, to CRRC's um, uh, staff. And, And now China is in a position to export its own capacity in this particular field to other countries. So in a bigger picture sense, what do you think this tells us about the transformation in China's uh, own development dynamics?
3: I should say that this transformation is a very uh, crucial, not only for China, but also for other countries, if especially for those developing countries. As we know, that they will, uh, this is the fact that we learn a lot of basic knowledge and techniques from other countries. But doesn't mean that China will be satisfied with what we have learned. China is a country with innovation. We never always satisfied with what we have achieved. We always try to, bet, to, uh, to get a better result and a better achievement through our uh, innovation. So, this is the basis that uh, we learned from other countries, but we innovated in some new products and especially. We're open-minded. We open our market. We are not only that to be satisfied with our own domestic needs. We wish to expand and deliver all these benefits to other countries in order to enjoy, to share the benefits of the high technology. So this is the basic Chinese traditional philosophy that we hope that all people have shared the happiness and shared the progress in the high Technology. So this is the best sign and the best uh, example to tell the world that China is really willing to help all countries.
0: Mm. So, of course, when we talk about the political ties uh, between China and Hungary or between China and Serbia, uh, frankly speaking, the, the relations between, uh, between China and these two particular European countries have been pretty cordial. Now, considering the current geopolitical environment in a bigger scale sense, uh, Professor Liu, what do you think is the prospect of, say, Chinese high-speed railways and high-speed trains expanding their footprints uh, into other European countries?
3: I think this is uh, our first uh, contract with the European countries, but not the last, I'm sure. We will have some uh, other corporations opportunities. But at the moment, I think we should do our best to fulfill all this first contract in 100 200% satisfaction, in a very high standard. In order to tell the European countries and European people how the Chinese standard is really a high-quality product, not only for China, but also for European countries, because many European countries have been very proud of its own yeah. management of its own standard. But now China's products have as much good or as much higher technology or the standard as the European standard. So this is a very important transformation for China to show, to demonstrate that China's design and ability and the capability to meet the demands in European countries. But one thing I should point out, some European politicians, maybe they will raise some obstacles or criticism on this contract in order to have some negative influence impact on the fulfillment of this contract. So both sides, China and Serbia and Hungary should really get ready to deal with these Mm. uncertainties.
0: Mm, Cautious optimism. But thank you very much. That was uh, Liu Zhiqing, Senior Fellow with the Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies, Renmin University of China. You're listening to World Today. We'll be back. (music) A former UN environment uh, diplomat says the Belt and Road Initiative will be a significant driver of global green development in the following decade. Former Executive Director Eric Soheim of the UN Environment Program shared his insights during the Third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation in Beijing. He suggested that the BRI has offered substantial opportunities for green investment and green trade over the past decade. Now in a conversation with my colleague Xu Wen, Sohaing said investment in renewable energy and green corridors under BRI's framework is beginning to take root. Let's take a listen.
4: As we're celebrating the 10 years of the BRI, what's your assessment on its achievements over the past decade? What concrete benefits has the BRI brought to partner countries?
5: There have been massive benefits over these 10 years. Millions of people have been brought out of poverty and there have been huge amounts of jobs created through the investments along the Belt and Road. Uh, if I want to focus on two particular areas, uh, one is the green corridors uh, in Africa, in Kenya, in Ethiopia, uh, Laos, uh, Yunnan, uh, uh, now very recently in, in Indonesia where the Bandung Jakarta Railroad was opened. And the second area is uh, green investments in energy solar, wind, hydropower. China is now the one, number one nation in the world in all these areas. Uh, and I think the investments in these areas in the in Belt and Road has just started.
4: In the early stage of the BRI, it was often seen as global infrastructure projects, which is partially true, but not the whole picture. Especially in recent years, China's policymakers have shifted their focus toward sustainable development, emphasizing the importance of the green BRI. This includes reducing climate emissions, reducing pollution, and protecting biodiversity, while ensuring improved economic development, economic opportunities for the countries involved. So could you share with us some measures China has taken to support the green BRI and their impact?
5: Uh, the watershed moment uh, in Belt and Road was in 2021 when President Xi Jinping uh, announced that China will stop all overseas coal investment. That had immediate impact all over Belt and Road because obviously if participating nations cannot get coal investment from China, they will ask for solar and wind and hydropower, all the areas where China is now the lead power. And very interestingly, when China made these decisions, well, it was not just a unilateral decision from China, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Indonesia, Kenya. They have all also, at around the same time, decided that we may not need the coal investment because solar or wind or um, many other renewable energies are cheaper than coal. So we can base our development on renewables rather than on coal and fossil fuels. That was really what changed. Belt and Road before that you are right there was a lot of criticism that Belt and Road was coal based and brown but now the background color for Belt and Road is green
4: in this years white paper on Belt and Road cooperation it mentions China's pledge to no longer build a new coal-fired power projects overseas the message here is clear it signifies China's commitment to reducing carbon emissions and promoting cleaner energy and adopting a more environmentally responsible approach. Speaking of that, actually, China has rapidly become a global leader in clean energy, in particularly in areas of solar power, wind power, and hydropower. So what potential opportunities does China's leadership in energy technology offer through the BRI to developing countries striving for energy independence?
5: Look, 120 countries in the world uh, have China as the number one trading partner. Uh, and better all, is a uh, massive opportunity for green investments and green trade. China now has the lead company in all these green sectors. Longi is the uh, biggest solar company in the world. Goldwinds is the biggest wind company in the world. BYD just passed Tesla as the, uh, biggest electric car company in the world, and CITL is by far the biggest electric battery company in the world. So what we will see in the future is a lot of green investment and green trade. A lot of these are commercial investments. Some of them may need uh, state guarantees or Chinese banks to come in and finance, but some is also pure commercial uh, activities. And this will drive the world green uh, at a high speed. Because the most important factor of all is that solar is now cheaper than coal anywhere in the world. So if you move from coal to solar, you do good for Mother Earth, you do good for the health, everyone understands. But you also do good for the economy because you create more jobs and you save money which can be used for health or education or other areas where you want to spend money.
4: Then how important is achieving sustainable and energy-independent solutions for a developing country
5: it's uh, hugely important because many, the vast majority of development nations spend a lot of money on importing oil and gas. Look, take India as an example. It has no oil and gas at home. So, whatever oil and gas it uses uh, is imported from somewhere. That's, of course, a huge drag on the global, uh, on the national economy. But the same applies to the vast majority of African and Latin American nations if they can base development on domestic resources, and look, the sun is African, the wind is African, the sun is Latin American, the wind is Latin American, they can base development on solar and wind and hydropower, they save money, which can be used to uplift their own population. So it's an enormous win-win-win, good for the economy, good for the environment, and good for health uh, in basically every developing nation in the world.
4: As of this year, more than 150 countries and 30 international organizations have joined this BRI. So what message does it send? What does the significant number of countries joining the BRI mean to you?
5: It speaks loudly about the importance of Belt and Road. I mean, no national course, is forced into Belt and Road, as you can sometimes, if you look to some of the negative uh, media uh, reports about China. You can get the impression that people are forced to do this because every nation voluntarily is part of Belt and Road because they want more partnerships with China because no nation in the world wants to choose. Every developing nation wants a close partnership with China and a close partnership with the United States and the West at the same time. They want investment from both China and the West. They want to send their students to both Tsinghua and Jiao Tong University and to Harvard and Cambridge. So they want a world where we can trade and invest freely, and we can see people-to-people contacts between all nations. And allow me to give a personal example as to how this works. And 15 years ago, I was the chief negotiating the peace process in Sri Lanka, and I visited every corner of this beautiful nation. At the time, it was quite difficult to go by road because the roads were very narrow, And there were lots of vehicles, two-wheelers, three-wheelers, cows, people there, so it took quite some time. When I came back last year, beautiful highways from the airport to town, beautiful highways from Colombo, the capital, to the beaches where most tourists want to go. This, of course, is wonderful for the people of Sri Lanka, but also great for the economy because it's a tourist-based economy. And Sri Lanka has completely voluntarily gone into this because they want this partnership with China. But at the same time, because Sri Lanka also wants a very close partnership with India and with the West, they they don't at all want to make a choice, but to be close to every major power in the world and to benefit from partnerships and people-to-people contact with everyone.
4: And lastly, Mr. Soheim, as the initiative advances, what's the future of the BRI look like and how will it affect our world?
5: The future colour of Belton Road is for sure green and it will be in the next decade the, the most important vehicle for green developments in the world uh, for investments in, in green energy and for green corridors. And I also hope that some of the green corridors which have been started can even be extended. Say the Nairobi and Mombasa Railroad, if that can continue to Uganda, Rwanda and Burundi. These are landlocked countries in Africa. They would love to see more tourists come, and they're wonderfully beautiful. But a railroad will make that much more easy. And of course, they will connect them to world markets through the the port of of Mombasa. And in Southeast Asia, uh, I think in 10 years' time, it will will take you less than 24 hours to go from Singapore to Beijing through Chinese-built high-speed rail, through Malaysia, through Thailand, and you will connect the entire Southeast Asia in a completely, completely new way. There may also be railroads to Myanmar, uh, which is, of course, a uh, comparatively poor country, which will benefit from, from that. So let's continue these green corridors, but also move into many, many, many smaller uh, and people friendly and people centered investments.
0: Eric Soheim, former executive director of the UN environment program. You are listening to World Today. China's GDP grew by 5.2% year-on-year in the first three quarters of 2023. In the third quarter, China's economy expanded by 4.9% year-on-year. So for more on China's economy, my colleague Zhao Yang spoke with Dr. Yao Shujian, Changkung Professor of Economics with Chongqing University.
6: So, Professor Yao, actually China's GDP grew by 5.2% year-on-year in the first three quarters, and in the quarter three, the GDP expanded by 4.9%. So, what's your rating of the latest economic figures? Do you think China's economic recovery is firmer, and are we seeing that momentum picking up?
7: Yes, surely. I mean, 4.9% for the third quarter is not a fairly high figure but it actually is a fairly stable figure. Uh, it pushed the entire growth of the first three quarters to 5.2%, which is 0.2% higher than the national target. So uh, I think if the fourth quarter can maintain the momentum of the third quarter, uh, the Chinese economy will be able to reach the 5% economic growth target that earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. So this is a very encouraging indeed. It actually reflects uh, the you know the steady recovery of the Chinese economy uh, from the three-year-long uh, COVID-19 pandemic uh, fluctuation. So this is the first year the Chinese economy is picking up, resumed uh, the normal uh, activities, and uh, I think the economy momentum is growing. So it is a, a very encouraging uh, quarter of the year.
6: Mm-hmm. And we are seeing the value-added industrial output rose by 4% in the first three quarters. So one standout is the equipment manufacturing industry. So what explains the outperformance of equipment manufacturers?
7: The equipment uh, manufacturing reflects the so-called high-end manufacturing. So it means that uh, not only the 4%, which is a steady uh, you know, industrial recovery, but also it reflects that the Chinese industrial uh, structure is transforming toward the, the higher quality segment of the of the industry. So uh, it, it, it is, again, uh, a positive indication of how the Chinese economy is picking up not only in terms of the pace of expansion, but also in terms of, of the quality, which is improving at the same time.
6: So, how will the global economic environment influence the Chinese economy and the foreign trade at large? How do you view the structure changes of uh, China's foreign trade?
7: The Chinese foreign trade actually has been diversified quite significantly away from the traditional industry into the new industries. For example, like the electrical, uh, you know, vehicles have been expanded by uh, more than one hundred percent. And also the, the battery, uh, you know, solar power panel was geared to the green economy development in terms of the new energy sector, uh, which China has becoming a, a, a major player in the international uh, you know, competition. So uh, although the global economy in the country is still fairly fragile and there's a lot of uncertainty about you know, the international trade situation, but the Chinese uh, you know, uh, industry, particularly in the high-end industry, the new uh, industry is leading the global economy and also plays a very important role in the Chinese industrial sector, which is, again, uh, in my view, is uh, another positive indication of the third quarter economic growth data. Mm.
6: And you mentioned the new industry. And so what are the innovation capabilities of China behind these new industries?
7: Uh, the industry, industrial expansion, particularly the high-end and uh, the new energy industry, is fully supported by the technological capacity. Uh, without the technological uh, innovation and uh, you know, ten- technical diffusion of the the, the Chinese, uh, you know, research and innovation, uh, you know, capacity, it would be impossible to see these kinds of block development. China is now A leading, uh, not only a leading economy power, but it's also a leading uh, technological power. It's Mm. very clear, uh, it's indicated by the industrial transformation.
6: Mm. And we know that domestic consumption is also very vital for China's GDP growth and the retail sales of consumer goods rose by 6.8% in the first three quarters. So talking about China's domestic demand and the consumption market, what do you think are fueling the consumption growth in China?
7: Well, um, you can see the three years of, uh, COVID-19 pandemic has, uh, you know, damaged the service and, uh, you know, the service industry, uh, particularly in the consumption, uh, sector. Now, due to the, 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 the ending of the COVID-19, uh, there is a, a gradual recovery in the service sector, such as hotel and retailing, uh, you know, catering and so on, uh, tourism. Uh, in the third quarter, it is a very strong recovery. It's two-digit economic growth in some of the sector. So, uh, you know, the consumer industry is reflected by the, uh, the so-called bounce back of the consumption that have been suppressed during the, uh, you know, COVID-19 period. And now the release of this consumption energy plus, uh, people's income is also picking up steadily. So not only uh, people are able to uh, spend more money on the street and you know, on the internet or, or also you know in the restaurant, hotel and so on and so forth, but also their consumption ability is also picking up very quickly.
6: So what policies have been taken to bolster the consumption, especially in those areas like tourism, elderly care and property market?
7: Yeah, the, um, uh, you know, tourism, you can see that during the national holiday season and also the Chinese traditional, uh, you know, uh, mid uh, festival. Uh, there is a, a queue in the motorway, in the hotel, and also in the tourism spot. So there is a very strong power of energy that are releasing from the household sector into the tourism industry uh and the growth of the catering and hotel uh is now the, the winning subsector sector of the of the recovery of the national economy
6: and as you mentioned, China has set this year's economic growth target of around 5%. And currently, a lot of international institutions also forecast uh, China's economy will grow by 5% or above. So what are the most important paths to reach that target? And where should be the focus of China's economic efforts in the next stage?
7: Um, you know, you look at the statistics in the third quarter, not only the service industry, the manufacturing services industry is are growing very strongly. The first industry, which is primarily uh, agriculture, is also growing very strongly. So I, I mean that in the fourth quarter, I said the three major industries, agriculture, manufacturing, and services, they would continue to grow to meet the target of 5%. And as I mentioned, it is not there's only one quarter left and China already achieved 5.2%. So I think China should be able uh, to achieve the 5% growth target without too much difficulty. And in order to do that, uh, I think the Swiss sector have to uh, expand in the normal way. And I hope that the manufacturing, the service sector would also uh, play a much more important role. Uh, the other things like um, investment, investment in the manufacturing uh, sector, in uh, agriculture that's also growing uh, in services. Uh, in, in particular, the go the investment in the housing sector is still going down. But the uh, housing sector will require some time to recover. The positive thing is that uh, despite the housing sector is suffering, I think the rest of the economy is picking up to compensate for the weakening of the housing sector. That is able to to sustain China's 5% growth, and I hope the momentum of the economic growth of all the sectors will continue not only in the fourth quarter, but it will carry on into the next year.
0: Professor Yao Shu joining us from Chongqing University. That's all the time for this edition of World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.